Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. This is Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower. It's been a few weeks since our last program, and you know we're going to blame that slight delay on an extra week in the calendar, some time out of the office, plus some other meetings and, and other events. And speaking of other events, my own cotton companion and colleague, Beck Barnes, took a little unplanned trip a few weeks ago that turned out to be a pretty big deal for him and, uh, and all of the Old Miss nation. I uh, just want to know, have you, have you recovered, Beck? And kind of <laughs> I, tell, I mean, us, I, tell us about it, man. Oh, man, I've had plenty of time to recover. Gosh, you're right. I, I got to thinking about the timeline. And yeah, because it seems like forever ago. But yeah, I guess it was about... But two, three weeks ago, we were, I was out and I went to Omaha and saw uh, Ole Miss play in the College World Series, which if any of y'all ever get the chance to do it, man, I highly recommend it. It's, it's tough to get to. Um, and there's no way, I don't want to get into all the details. There's no way to book a hotel and a flight two weeks out unless you're gambling that your team's going to be there. And anyhow, man, it was, <laughs> again, I don't want to get too detailed, but it was like planes, trains, and automobiles trying to get to Omaha, Nebraska on a on a quick turnaround and uh wind up missing a flight plane travel in general i do not recommend it to anybody who's listening if you got a trip to take just drive it listen listen to beck okay here's my life advice just drive it you could be going from miami to seattle i'm telling you drive it um because it's it's a mess i wound up missing a flight on a quick turnaround and had 10 minutes to hop on another and I'm arguing with gate agents and I hopped on a flight thinking I was going to Sioux City, Iowa, which is an hour from Omaha. And I was quickly told by a, a gal on the flight that I just boarded, she goes, oh no, this flight's going to Sioux Falls. And I said, <laughs> and I, said huh? I said, what? And she goes, yeah, yeah, it's in South Dakota. And uh, so anyhow, yeah, I wound up four hours from Omaha and rented a uh, a car and long story short, I've been in much better shape if I'd just driven from my house. Um, but <laughs> we made it and Ole Miss won and it was a, it was a blast. Uh, we played Oklahoma who has a great team. And uh, anyhow, it was a hit. I know Tennessee had a great baseball team this year too, Jim. So maybe we did, you, we did have a good season and I'm uh, not going anywhere. You'll be there. You'll be there before too long. Oh yeah. Well, you know, we ran into, I think the, when you step back and look at all the teams that actually made the World Series, and you know, we are really digressing here, folks, on this, you know, because we always talk about from, from the cotton from the cotton belt perspective, everybody talks and brags sort of about their college football teams. Yeah. Here. But I think you got to throw college baseball into this now because I correct me if I'm wrong, Beck, but didn't we have what the teams that were there represented of the eight teams that were there weren't seven of them cotton producing states? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, there's only eight teams there. And yeah. um, I think Notre Dame was the only outlier. Notre Dame was the only one that wasn't. Yeah, you're right. So, and, uh, and, uh, and in terms of our listenership, I mean, AM was there right around Kyle, all those Brazos right. farmers, I'm sure, were cheering for them. And right. I think Texas Tech's had a good team in years, in recent years, too. So they'll be there before they too sure long. have. Well, you had Texas and Oklahoma both, both in this, this yeah. series, who are, you know, as we know, strong cotton states. Yeah. So, Anyway, good, good for, uh, you know, good for representation and, and, you know, sorry for the, uh, you know, this, the goofy chatter on this that's the college baseball companion. That's right. That's it our, is, it is. Tune into our other podcast, the college cotton, baseball companion. Yes, cotton and college baseball companion. <laughs> so anyway, well, in addition to, uh, you know, to Beck and his old Miss celebration, 
there were a couple of other items that kind of caught the interest of the cotton market here over the last couple of weeks. I think of primary interest and in, in possibly concern too was the extreme drop in commodity prices, which included cotton, uh, that occurred shortly after we posted our last podcast, as usual. That sort of seems to be our, our MO on this. But there's, there's sort of nothing like a 30 to 40 cent decline in price to catch your attention. Uh, but we do have to be mindful, and, and we've had this discussion with, with some of our economist friends. It wasn't just cotton that took it on the chin in this. Uh, so did almost every other commodity. So it was, uh, uh, from what we understand, it was uh, a combination of, uh, of the speculators who have kind of been running the market, uh, market up uh, for the last several months, uh, running into a, a situation where they needed to, uh, to take a look. It was, it was the change of the marketing year. And there was a lot of discussion out there in terms of uh, beginning to talk about recession. So the speculators basically cashed out, went home, and uh, and prices dropped on everything. Yeah, cotton included. I know uh, Jim, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, it was it was a tough drop. It's it's crazy to sit here looking at. I think we're still north of ninety cents, and and be super disappointed about it. But um, you know, it's kind of just the type of year that it's been. Uh, but I do think we found. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but I thought I read uh, headline yesterday. We kind of found a floor and. Right. And rebounded just a little bit. Maybe we're starting that climb uh, back above a dollar here before too long. Yeah, and I think it's going to be. Uh, that's true. I checked prices this morning. And I think we were sitting at ninety-four cents uh, on the December contract. Um, and again, I, I agree with you. Most most of the folks who are a whole lot smarter than us in this uh, on this topic think we'll we'll climb back up over a dollar, uh, maybe up maybe between a dollar four, dollar ten, uh, sometime soon. But most of that. Is going to be uh, is probably going to be weather driven, which brings us to our next topic: uh, this continuing issue of, of relentless hot and dry conditions across most of the Cotton Belt. I mean, quite honestly, anything that's not being irrigated right now is is in tough, tough shape, and that's not just cotton. That's corn, that's soybeans, that is sorghum. It's every crop that's out there, and really, you don't have to look much further than than USDA's crop progress report this week showing that 39% of the U.S. crop was rated good to excellent, 34% was rated fair. Now, the 34% fair number is okay. We've had that in the past. Uh, the good to excellent number you really like to see in that mid-40s up to 50 range, which means that 27% of the crop is now rated poor to very poor, and actually that's an improvement from the previous week. Uh, previous week, we literally were sitting at everybody was in the 30s, uh, or every, every rating was in the 30s. And uh, these lower ratings are really impacting several states at this point, as you can imagine. Uh, I think Texas, Texas's rating for poor to very poor is currently sitting at 41%. Tennessee, surprisingly, but, but not so much after talking with a few folks, is sitting at 28%. Missouri's at 19%. Uh, those are really, really high numbers for you know for the lower end of the scale and some areas around here did get a little rain this week but man it's still tough going in a lot of areas yeah yeah nowhere nowhere more so than here in memphis jim and i know you know it but gosh it feels like we hadn't gotten rain in in a month um and my i got the burn up yard to prove it um it seems like uh, south here uh, my, my stepdad was telling me they got a pretty good storm 
I think earlier this week down in the Mississippi Delta, which might have given some guys a little bit of relief, but I, I know that's little uh, little consolation, especially for our guys in Texas, where in the Southwest, where it just seems like year after year now, it's you just plan on a drought, and uh, you know if you get a rain, uh, that's just a, a added bonus. It feels like you know I I go back and looking real quick at the numbers. You know USDA did their uh, uh, their July world supply world ag supply and demand estimates of the, of the famous WASDE report uh, earlier this week. And it basically was showing, they were saying, okay, back on June 30th, USDA did their planted acreage report. I think it was like 12.5 million acres of cotton that were planted. That was about 250,000 more acres than they had projected earlier in the year. But they're saying their harvested area forecast right now is about 600,000 acres lower this month than it was last month. So basically means abandonment is projected higher and it may be four times uh, the previous year's level, which is gonna leave us right at this point with US production at 15.5 million bales, which is a million bales lower than we've been talking about uh, up to this point. So it is, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough, tough year. Yeah. yeah, I get out there and do a rain dance for the whole belt as soon as we're, as soon as we're <laughs> done recording. Okay, we'll we'll video that, and maybe we'll go to a video format. Uh, no, unfortunately, no videos. No, no videos. videos. Okay, I think our <laughs> listeners are probably happy with that <laughs> that situation. Well, the other thing is, we're also entering summer meeting season, and we've got field days, we've had demonstrations, got some association meetings already out of the way, and we're trying to get to as many of these as we can as our schedules allow. This week. Uh, in fact, I was at Southern Cotton Generous Association summer meeting. I was able to catch up with our good friend, Dr. Cater Hake, who's vice president for agricultural and environmental research at Cotton Incorporated. And one of the topics on the agenda was cottonseed marketing and research, which really is a pretty big deal for Jenners who rely on cottonseed as a revenue source. But Beck, as, as I always do, or, or certainly do from time to time, I've got something a little offbeat to drop in before we get to uh, before we get to cater on that, and uh, this comes down to a different type of research uh, and cotton related from a textile perspective. Um, in Stockholm, Sweden, a restaurant crew is wearing cotton aprons that capture greenhouse gas from the air. Oh boy! And it's part of a pilot program with of a technique developed by some researchers uh, to help the fashion industry help lower its climate impact. Now, as you can imagine, with all the mills and things around around the world, textile industry's got a pretty large carbon footprint, and they're coming becoming under uh, increasing pressure to, to address that. Uh, obviously, as shoppers become more aware of environmental impact of clothes, global temperatures rise. It's nothing surprising. We, we hear it in the cotton market as well. So the Hong Kong Research Institute of Textiles and Apparel has developed an aiming containing solution that they can use to treat cotton, their fiber, yarn, or fabric that helps cotton pull carbon dioxide gas toward it and capture it to stabilize it and store it on the surface of the textile. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting process and obviously in its very infancy stages at this point because there are, but apparently there are several other projects to develop CO2 absorbing textiles out there of their potential, as they say, though, 
and their contribution to lessening environmental impact for the textile industry is still uh, remains to be seen. Yeah, boy, that's wild, and and it's uh, that's so appropriate as a lead into the Cater Hake interview that you got here for us, Jim. Because boy, that sounds like something right out of Cotton Incorporated's oh yeah playbook. I mean, that's the type of if you ever been to uh, Cotton Incorporated's HQ uh, there in a research triangle, uh, uh, North Carolina, Cary, North Carolina. Um, right. Uh, boy, it's like going in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. I mean, they <laughs> they have each room is some you know uh, fun but zany innovation around cotton that they bring to market and this thing with restaurant aprons that capture co2 i mean boy that sounds truly right out of their playbook so like i say good good tee up for the cater hake interview yeah well obviously as as i mentioned and we'll just move right into that right now i did have the opportunity to sit down with uh with dr cater hake this week to discuss the cottonseed program uh, as well as some other, as well as the other production research programs that Cotton Incorporated has going, and some recent addition and changes to their research group. So here's our, my conversation with Cater right now. Well, you know the 2022 growing season is is well underway, and it's a good time I think for us to uh, to take a look at how the year's going and maybe some other items that uh, we need to kind of watch and keep in mind as we move ahead. And to help us out with this discussion and. Uh, is the entire cotton industry's good friend and what I call sort of the Swiss army knife of, of the industry because he does a little bit of everything. Uh, Dr. Cater Hake, who's Vice President of Agricultural and Environmental Research at Cotton Incorporated. Cater, thanks for taking a few moments to visit. Well, it's great to be visiting you and it, the Swiss army knife is so true, <laughs> but there's a lot of dull blades and broken blades, so. <laughs> well, let's, let's go ahead and get the obvious out of the way first. Uh, USDA said a couple weeks ago that we planted 12.2 million acres uh, of cotton this year, but it's looking like a high percentage of those dryland acres are already uh, are suffering or have already kind of been zeroed out at this point. What are you seeing and hearing about this crop right now? Well, definitely, you know, it could be the one of the highest disasters in uh, in the Texas area, but also Oklahoma and Kansas, and mm -hmm. and but we're right now in 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 uh, Alabama, and it's amazing to talk with the growers here that have really suffered from drought. So this has been much more widespread than just the Southwest, uh, in and they were too wet early on. So you know, it's just been the the weather's been really tough on on crops. The corn looks worse. It's <laughs> the only thing we can say, <laughs> you know. And the late planted beans look the best. So c clearly, it's a very challenging year for growers. It has been with the input cost, you know, in the crazy markets, right. and then crazy weather. Well, like you said, you mentioned we're here in Alabama. We've uh, we've been at the uh, Southern Cotton Generous Association meeting here in Florence. You were part of a discussion earlier today about cottonseed, which uh, is always an important component of the cotton crop. Uh, Cotton Incorporated obviously is actively involved in marketing whole cottonseed and cottonseed oil. Uh, and your colleague Lynn Kilroy did a, an excellent job this morning, I think, highlighting the uh, you know the, the highlights, I guess, of, of the ongoing marketing promotion program for cottonseed. What type of research programs is your group working on? Uh, to assist this effort, and, well, and why? Okay, well, I'm glad you brought up the promotion program because that, that's the objective. We're not doing this research just to accumulate papers to do research. Mm -hmm. We're doing it to add value to the product. So Lynn is running a promotion program 
for dairy cattle and beef cattle, mm -hmm. and that was research that was done 20 and 30 years ago. Right. You know, we're refreshing it, so we get some new numbers and, and new techniques, but it's the same way the research program is looking into the future, and how can we promote market cottonseed 10 years from now? And we're super excited, the, the latest bells and whistles is we've gotten really lucky comparing cottonseed oil to olive oil. We're seeing some substantial benefits on blood lipids mm -hmm. and we've just now uh, the scientists University of Georgia Jamie Cooper and Chad Payton have just put out their um, the post-pandemic papers, because it was interrupted a little bit, right. um, showing similar to what they saw before, that cottonseed oil compared to olive oil has some wonderful things on blood lipids, particularly fasting blood lipids that help people like you and I <laughs> that are getting on in, in years. Right. Now, obviously, a lot of the cottonseed oil promotion is geared more toward the food service industry and things like that. And it looks like from what Lynn was saying, there's some real successes there in terms of getting that industry on board at this point. And absolutely, and again, that's a wonderful example because that's information that research gave us again 20 years ago, right. And but with the promotion is often reminding people of things they should know already. And cotton has these wonderful characteristics. It's got a very high smoke point, which means you can really crank up the temperatures, mm -hmm. which is great if you don't want greasy, soggy fries. Right. And it's also, it's really good with a new neutral flavor, so it doesn't transfer flavor to the food. So chefs like it because then they can create the flavors they want. That's right. And it doesn't add a flavor. So the you're absolutely right, the cottonseed oil promotion program is to the food service program. Definitely. Well, obviously, you're still managing a pretty robust research program in cotton production as well. Uh, what areas are you focusing on right now? What types of preliminary findings are you starting to see? Well, the number one challenge for growers are pests, whether it's, and really resistant pests. So it's resistant weeds, and coming up real fast is resistant insects, and then probably diseases and nematodes. And, you know, the biggest cliff we're facing is weeds. We're just running out of silver bullets. You know, for about 40 years, we had a new herbicide mode of action, right. you know, a new way to kill a weed. Every other year in early 1980, we went flatline, <laughs> and, and we've just been burning through the old modes of action. They got new generic names, new brand names, but they're old products. And, and so one of the most challenging areas is trying to find alternative ways to control weeds. Uh, automation is right. going to play a really big role. And cotton is fortunate that Europe decided they didn't want to use herbicides, <laughs> so they're really forced to invest and innovate in these areas. So a lot of the excitement is coming out of Europe and Israel, mm -hmm. places like that where we're looking at non-herbicide ways to control weeds, no silver bullets, and they're going to complement herbicides. But uh, that's probably our biggest challenge right now is the herbicide-resistant weeds, some way to control them. Yeah. Now, I was... Uh Speaking of, of the weed resistance, a couple of weeks ago, I was over at, at, uh, in Jackson, Tennessee for Larry Steckel's yes, weed yes. tour. Wonderful and tour. It was a great tour. And, and Larry, some of his plots basically were set up, I think, as, you know, to frighten people who were there. It's like, okay, if we lose dicamba, should we lose you know, glyphosate? Should we lose glufosinate? 
what are we going to do? What's it going to look like? And it was a mess. I've, I've had trials back in the 80s where, where we did that, and we used prison labor to try to keep them clean. We couldn't get enough prisoners on those fields. <laughs> I mean, it, so, you know, we just, we, we're not going back, right. um, you know, to, to handhold. And we're going to basically have to go back to heavy tillage, right. which sacrifices our soil health. And particularly with things like the drought and these intense rainfall, if we lose our soil health, then we've lost our, our yields and productivity as well. So it's, a, it's an exit existential threat, which is, you know, a 25-cent word that means it's a serious threat to all of that culture. Yeah. Now, I've, I've talked with your colleague, Ed Barnes, about some of the te new technologies that are out there. I had a chance to go see the Sea and Spray Ultimate Technology uh, down in Texas back in April. Amazing what, what that could bring to the, you know, to the field. But there are also some other alternative machine learning, AI-type technologies that are coming down the pike that show up an awful lot of promise. And we're so, we're cotton or, and agriculture in general is really helped by the fact that we can go grab these good ideas from other industries. Right. And we don't have to pay the heavy lifting to create them. And the machine learning AI that you're talking about is exactly one. You know, the facial recognition that a lot of people have on the smartphone that is easily translated to recognizing what's cotton and what's, what's not cotton. Right. And, or what's a weed. And, and actually and you know anything that's green and not cotton zaps a little sprayer at or even as you're saying with the sea and spray it can reduce the total pesticide use in these fields exactly. dramatically and we can use products that maybe we don't have the safety margin because we're just spraying the weed instead of the crop you know so those definitely I think are going to be huge in helping us manage resistant weeds going forward yeah well obviously this is these are all transitions that we're seeing right now uh, in production you've got new technologies we've talked about new challenges but you're seeing some transitions uh, at Cotton Incorporated at this point in, ter in terms of your research group you've got some new additions you've got some new expertise in there tell us a little bit about about that. Well, we're just super excited. Thank you for asking that because uh, we do have long-term stability at Cotton Incorporated, and so we've just recently had some turnover. So Tom Wiedegardner, who for 30 years, uh, he created the Cottonseed Research and right. Marketing Program, Promotion Program. He retired, and we were really fortunate to bring in uh, Dr. Evie Jaconis. Name is Susan, but she goes by Evie. Okay. And she was trained by the absolute best cotton physiologist. She did her postdoc with Mick Bange in Australia. But more recently, she's been working on human nutrition for lentils and dry beans and chickpeas. And so she is now leading our cottonseed research program. Okay. And she is hardcore human nutrition, cattle nutrition, dairy nutrition, you know, thinking about how cotton fits into nutrition. Just wonderful. The second person who's just joined us is, most of you viewers will remember Bob Nichols, mm -hmm. who passed away. Um, he retired a few months before he passed away, you know, and he said he would have retired one year earlier if he knew he was going to pass. That yep. tells you how much he loved working with cotton. Um, Caitlin Bissonette, Dr. Caitlin Bissonette has joined us from the University of Missouri, and she is leading the charge on all thing diseases and all thing nematodes. So we're just super excited to have both Dr. Jaconis and Dr. Bissonette join us and take our program to new heights, new levels. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I always have to ask you on this because, you know, people know that you're a pretty excitable guy, you know, 
things. Stepping back, what's really exciting you right now about this cotton industry? Today? Well, I think the you know the the most exciting thing is what's gotten us through successes in the past, and that's the ability of the cotton industry to work together and collaborate. You know, I've worked with other commodities; they don't have anywhere near that level of. Um, camaraderie, but it's really willingness to work for the greater good. We've always been a small player in U.S. agriculture, right? Right. And as a result, we've we've had to pull together in a, from everywhere, from the policy to the research to promotion. So that's, to me, that's what's going to keep us strong going forward is the, the, the willingness of those various sectors to work together and solve problems that are for the greater good of cotton. Sounds good. Well, Cater, thanks so much for taking time to visit today. I know we're, you're in a hurry. We've got to get you, get things going. And it's always good, especially to sit down and visit with you face-to-face at this point and kind of swap stories and, you know, compare our histories together in this business. So, anyway, uh, I'll let you get back to it. Uh, appreciate your time. Have a, uh, have a great trip back. And, and we'll visit again maybe later this year. Absolutely. And great to see you here at the meeting. So, right. thank you. Thanks, Cater. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, As always, we want to thank our guest, which today was Dr. Cater Hake, uh, for taking the time to visit with us. Cater's been a great friend of Cotton Grower through the years, and we appreciate him. And uh, as always, we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us. Uh, If you like what you hear uh, here at the Cotton Companion podcast, please be sure and spread the word. Tell your buddies about us. Tell your farming neighbors about the podcast. And uh, here's where and how they can find us. You can find The Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. The Cotton Companion podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Maestro Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. His name's Beck Barnes, and we'll be back with you in two weeks, the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe and stay comfortable and cool. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farmer. Yeah, he works.